0: Hello and welcome to Nothing But The Poem. Hello and welcome to this special podcast. We've got a fantastic group of poets and practitioners around the table... We've been working on a project called Poetry Unwrapped, focusing on poetry in dyslexia and neurodiversity, thinking through how we can use poetry in schools and in different settings to help people communicate and use their creativity and self-expression for their own well-being, but also so that we can hear as many voices and as many perspectives as possible. So I should introduce myself in case you don't know me. Uh, My name's Sam Tung and I'm the project coordinator at the Scottish Poetry Library. I'm really looking forward to today's conversation. I'm going to go around the table and get everybody to introduce themselves so that you can hear their voices and hear their names and then we'll get a brief overview of the project to get some context and then we'll get into it. So, on my left.
1: Um, I'm Julie McNeil, lovely to be here. I'm Victoria McNulty.
2: Beth McDonough, very pleased to be here.
3: I'm Kay Huston. Thanks for having us.
0: So Julie, you approached us first with the, the project, so would you be able to give us a kind of brief contextual overview oh, of what? Oh,
4: brief contextual overview, yes, <laughs> I can do that. Um, yeah, so the conversation started about a year ago. Um, I had been involved in some work in the poetry library, a poetry work, but also outside of that I'd been writing a book about dyslexia. I have two children who are dyslexic. Um, so I was really keen to look at how we widen the access of poetry and poetry resources. A lot of the resources that you use in schools or you draw upon for children that are dyslexic from some of the kind of big publishers don't have any poetry section whatsoever. So I think that's quite depressing and I think that we should be widening the access and hearing more voices. So um, the poetry library were absolutely brilliant and just jumped on board with it and let me kind of run free with um a project. So what we've done is I've delivered we've written and delivered workshops in four schools, so two primaries and two high schools in East End of Glasgow, in Falkirk and in Perth. And the purpose of the workshops really is to write a kind of dyslexia-friendly poetry workshop so that um all neurodiverse children really, but also anybody that was interested in poetry. poetry resources or didn't yet know they were interested in poetry and poetry resources could access this so the workshops have been just fantastic and and in addition to that we've been running kind of cpd sessions in the school so we do a session with the children and young people and then a session with teachers so we've got that kind of dual pronged approach and then the third element of the program is these brilliant poets on my left here victoria beth and craig who've written their own work drawn on their own experiences of neurodiversity. So we've been able to capture these brilliant poems from them and record them as a resource in the Poetry Library as well.
0: Yeah, and we've got some wonderful recordings, which I um, advise listeners to go and have a look at as well. Those are on the website, um, and you'll be able to hear and see the poets that are around the table with me today. Thank you, yeah. Thanks, Julie, for introducing it so succinctly. Um, a, in a, quite a large project, quite a lot of things yes. going on in yeah. that project as well. And it's fantastic to hear how it's been going mm-hmm. uh, in the schools, with the teachers and the and the students. It's important mm-hmm. to have that, that two-pronged approach, it's, as you put it.
4: It's been really... Um, Lovely to do it that way, to have the voices of the children, young people, but then see the perspective of the teachers as well. And obviously the workshops and CPD sessions we've been running have been quite different. And also school to school have been quite different. We've been able to really kind of tailor the workshops to the needs of the school and the needs and the age and stage of the children in the school. So some schools I'm going into and it's a support for learning base, maybe for children who aren't really attending school. um, And they might be all ages. And sometimes I'm going in with a class, you know, a P five or P six class. So that's been the lovely thing about the project is that it's had that kind of you've been able to be quite dynamic with it and change up what you're offering depending on the needs of the people in front of you. So and the kids have been just brilliant. They've just well, you'll hear some of the poems hopefully, um, on the website. But um their, their poetry's been brilliant. They've just jumped into it with two feet, so it's been a fantastic experience.
1: P six G, who are we? by p 6 and Julie McNeil, We are dazzling dancers, we are funny and fun. We are chalice and gymnasts, we are human. We are tight and creative, ambitious Alexander. We are football and judo, animators and youtubers. We are great goalkeepers and drama stars. We will all go far. We love football and dancing, painting and art, making games and gardening. Our families and pets. We love Reese Pieces and Kinder Buenos. We love blueberries and maltesers, cakes and avocados. We love gaming and sweets, cookies and ice cream, pizza and more Buenos. We love everything. We try to slay every day. We try training dogs. We avoid
4: snakes, not Jake. We try breathe every second. We try... We try hard with spelling and maths and writing, even when it's hard. We
1: try. To be kind, we try. We laugh when we win on the PS5, especially when we beat our dads. We slipped and slide tackled a granny. If she'd fallen, it would have been bad. We've la- we laugh about pancakes and pink George Pig teddies. We laugh when teachers use Sharpies on whiteboards. We laugh at missed shots and accidental headers. We laugh when Kieran is silly and Isla is Isla. We laugh at ripped paper. We laugh with all our friends. We wish to travel around the globe. We wish to be the goat. We wish for world peace and endless buenos to eat. We wish for cocker spaniels, cockapoos, and bunnies, for pink pigs and friends who think we're funny. We wish for a rich like Elon Musk, who never has to ride the bus. We wish for no hate, just lots of rakes. And we wish for lots of sun in Scotland. We are proud of ourselves, our families and pets. We are proud of achievements in football, gymnastics and dance. We are proud of each other we slay every day. We are proud of our wonderful class we call P6G.
0: And One of the first things I wanted to ask our poets around the table as well was just what was your own experience, your first experiences with poetry Julie's been describing some of the things um, that, that she's been doing and, and with the workshops and with the teachers. Um, but what was, and that, that's, that's already kind of um, the first experiences of these lucky students um, in this point, but what were your own first experiences of poetry in school? Let's put it in, a, in school, first of all.
1: <laughs> Victoria, how was it for you? It for you? Um, I'm trying to think of a positive experience of poetry <laughs> in school. Um, we were taught a lot of Sylvia Plath. Um, later on in school, and that was probably the first time I felt like I could connect to poetry. Um, it just kind of hearing that woman's voice sort of digest what was happening to. Her. There was a lot of work she wrote around pregnancy and things that I found not just interesting but technically really interesting. And um, that's probably school wise that kind of planted the seed for me. I mm-hmm. think.
0: So that was, that sounds, I'm glad that you found a positive experience in there <laughs> as well. Was, what was a negative experience?
1: I think uh, just a, a lot of burns and a lot of just being forced to learn by rote and not actually, not actually engage with what's on the page. Um, but until, I don't know if it was Sylvia Plath or the teacher, who by the way also does a lot of Seamus Heaney, and I had a really similar kind of love of that, I don't know if it was the poetry or the love the teacher had for the poetry but all of a sudden i was like this is probably a really worthwhile thing to be looking at and before i didn't feel that so so yeah. that
0: teacher's passion and also meeting those poets on the page as well yeah. yeah brilliant absolutely beth what about you do
2: you know i think i think i got lucky at Robsley primary because i'm really aware of talking to a lot of people who endured the annual burns fest in january <laughs> which don't get me wrong it's a great thing but That seems to be the time when people are offered poetry quite a lot. And that was not my experience at Lee. I think. Yeah, it was even things like, you know, Belloc and things that really captured my imagination as a really small child. When I was up at secondary, yeah, period two on a Monday morning, poetry, yep. And I, I was so... And that my English teacher, there was a mistake in the curriculum and I managed to get the same English teacher for four years. (laughs) Fortunately, she was absolutely fantastic. It's a bit of a gamble, (laughs) isn't it? Which (laughs) is, so I have to count myself as really lucky in that aspect. So no complaints from here, but I realise that's not the case everywhere.
0: So a passionate teacher that you also managed oh, to get for four years. So that
2: was it, And it was, she did say to us, there has been a mistake in time. This really shouldn't be happening. But I was like, yes! <laughs> <laughs> That's <laughs> great. School <laughs> error in your favour. Absolutely. It? it doesn't <laughs> <Yeah>. always happen.
0: Craig, <laughs> yeah. what about you?
3: Um, I, I, I'm trying to think of... It seemed to pass me by. I, I actually don't recall it apart from the annual um, uh, Bonds Parade. That, that was really the only time I can think of anything but that might have been more with my engagement with school than anything else mm-hmm. Um, so I, I definitely didn't connect with me and I definitely didn't feel like something that people like me did it, 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 it passed me by but my mum gave me a book that she used to write when she was younger and it was a blue book, it was a really nice like, notebook and it, all the wee scribblings of poems that she'd done when she was in her teens I still got it and I don't know why I kept it and uh, it, yeah, I can tell you where it is in my house now, and and that was probably the first real connection with someone's writing words that I can relate to. Uh, if that's the right way to put it, yeah, you know, it was
0: my first experience. Mm-hmm. Oh, fantastic! And that yeah, so the, that little blue book that Hi, you've got yeah. is that that and you know exactly where it is in your mm-hmm. house now. Really? And you, do you revisit it now? I do. I yeah. do. It's,
3: um, yeah, I, I copy from it. So um, not <laughs> that book <great>. <laughs> Um, <laughs> no, I, I definitely do, and it's uh, since then. It, it definitely looked for as everybody does things that connect with you and your experiences. So, and yeah. um, it's definitely helped shape that. Yeah, oh, fantastic.
0: And Julie, I should ask you: Is that what was your first experience?
4: I feel a bit like Craig. I'd, I, it passed me by. In certainly in primary school. I don't remember any. Po- I I wasn't didn't even have the annual Burns fest because I was in <laughs> Carlisle. So, um. <laughs> It passed me by um, in primary. In secondary school, we did poetry, but I saw it as a bit of a chore, to be honest, because it, I found that process of teaching poetry to analyse poetry soul-destroying, but not soul-destroying enough to not then, because I went on and did English literature, you know, but then I didn't read or write poetry for a long time after that. I think it did put me off. I think studying it in a kind of academic way really just turned me off. And then it wasn't until about 10 years, 15 years later, I had my son and I started engaging. I suppose I had this outpouring of trying to capture all these things about his life and him and all this. And I started writing again and then I started reading a lot of poetry again. But there was a big period of time where I didn't read or write poetry at all. So well, I'm glad you've come around. to it. I know, it, uh, I'm a glad as well. <laughs> yeah.
0: So that's, that's really interesting. And then thinking about... Um, those kind of first experiences, but then also the, chi- the kind of challenges that you've faced with um, dyslexia or neurodiversity and what's attracted you to this project as well. So maybe, yeah, going back to, back to you Craig, um, what are some of those um, challenges that you've, that you've been aware of and how has poetry mm-hmm. and poems helped with that? A,
3: a lot of the challenges I've experienced is through, through my work, so um, there's, there's a lot of the young people that we work with have challenge, literacy challenges and found that they're not really enabled to express the same way as others maybe and and I think that's a, a real shame because everyone's got something to say it's just they might not have the platform so I think some of the challenges has been potentially assuming if someone can't do something this way then they're not capable of doing it at all and, and I think that's yeah I think that's a, a real shame and you know as we were talking about earlier from working and in prisons uh, with young young men they very often don't get that platform and what I've seen and what my experience says is when they're unable to express they can often express in a really hard hitting way and I think we need to we need to get better at making everything inclusive but as we're talking about poetry today we definitely need to widen the net that it's not a certain kind of person that, that does that does poems.
4: and. Um, yeah, that, and yeah. a kind of interesting fact we were talking about earlier it was that there's a very, very high percentage of dyslexic people in the mm-hmm. prison population, much higher than you know the, the general population mm-hmm. and and people with literacy mm-hmm. difficulties in general. So, um, Craig's work there is you know really, really important that he's doing.
0: So how is it that yeah, just to. Press you a little bit mm-hmm. on that one. So, how, what, when you're presenting poems or are you kind of doing workshops or what's the kind of process? Just yeah, the kind of technical I, aspects I think a
3: lot of the times, um, just by by talking about it, role modeling that, that, that this is something that can be done, and then exploring with the young person where they would like to take that and how they would like to move forward with that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, doing things like that can be a one to one, you know, let's write down how you feel. Or it can be let's get a group together and 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 plan to write, you know, a collective poem, and it's really led by young people. But that's the real importance that I think that there's a perception that there's a right way of doing it, and it's words on a page. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's words on a page, and then um, actually, when people have extreme experiences, or positive or negative, that it can it's really emotive to read those, and actually. And my experience says therapeutic, but also it can guide a lot of. Even the support that we provide, because. Young people have often said, "Well, I need to say this at this point. I need to do this at this point. And and when they're able to be expressed, uh, to be expressive. You can get a lot more out of them in terms of how how best to provide support. So. Yeah, that's yeah. how we've used it at work.
0: Yeah. So re yeah, so a resource that just kind of unpacks and unfolds and, and gives that self-expression which is so important. That's right, I thought, Beth, how about, yeah, with, the, with your own kind of personal experiences?
2: Well, I, I suppose I, I was teaching art in various sectors including special and I've come across a lot of different kinds of neurodiversity, teaching in FE, to, you know, and later on teaching in a university, different things and of course when I have my own son, who has very severe autism, learning difficulties, sensory processing issues, epilepsy, and all the other things you add into the mix, of course, you know nothing at all, do you? <laughs> but and it's a, it's a whole different ballgame, and and you may have a couple of decades of, of professional experience, and you know nothing. Um, but I'm really aware my my son is not quite nonverbal, but he has you know he struggles on that level. I mean, far away from literacy, speech is just not an easy option for him. And I'm really aware of how much we use poetry in early learning children's books, whether it's The Gruffalo, The Bear, Hunt, all these Mm -hmm. sort of things. And here you you have rhythms, you have repetition, you have rhyme, you have all these sort of things that build expectation and reward. And a lot of what we're doing quite often with my son is about backwards chaining to give him a space in which he can produce a word or a response. And poetry really fits into that. And I'm I'm really actually, I'm in awe of people who can write poems for children. I have really tried, I find it a really, really difficult thing to do and it's funny because it's something with my own son who is now 24, I'm very much enmeshed in, so I'm in awe of the children's poets. But yeah, it's been a big part in how we help my son communicate.
0: Is that, that really came across in your poem that um, that we recorded earlier as well, which is going to be available alongside the podcast, the tap into me, that kind of physical element of the poetry uh, and the poem itself. Is that something that you were exploring in that poem?
2: Yes, very much. And again, the repetition and what, what my son would actually do and require us to do. And yes, that the repetitive and sometimes quite formulaic thing, which then also breaks into something different when he needs... And I have noticed that he will, it's not just when we're on top of him to do these things, though sometimes it feels like we're on top of him a lot, but there are times also when he will randomly, well, not randomly, but he will seek out something. It was obviously one night, it was really annoying him when he was trying to get to sleep, and suddenly he said, Peace at last. <laughs> <laughs> and I just, but he had taken that from. From our reading yeah. together, or from my reading too. Is that him, the one so. with the elephants? Yes, <laughs> yes. No, the, the Jill <laughs> <then>. <laughs> yeah. so there's all, And he does this periodically. He will fish out something from way back and it will come up. So it gives him something. And in, I say again, that repetition, the reward, the rhyme, these expectations build patterns that really help my son communicate. I can't yeah. underestimate what poetry does for him.
0: Wow. Wow, that's really powerful to hear as well, because so we're already building up this picture of just the multiplicity of uses of poetry and poems. Um, yeah, and that kind of, so the rhythm and the metre and that kind of um, yeah. repetition and, and language use, but pre-verbal as well.
2: And well, this of... is it. I, th- I think, sorry, when I feel sometimes people put poetry on this shelf, that yeah. it's this grand intellectual pursuit, which of course <laughs> it can be. But here is my son at 24, barely able to speak. And I believe poetry has something fundamental to offer to his life.
0: Brilliant, brilliant. Thank you. Thanks for sharing that. Uh, and Victoria, yeah, what what's your kind of experience of using poetry in the educational and the non-educational settings that you that you've experienced?
1: Well, um, I I mean I do work in community education and things now, but. Um, I was diagnosed as autistic in my early thirties and actually I'd had a lifetime of misdiagnosis, a lifetime of kind of trouble with mental health kind of relating to the lack of kind of support and um, I started to write poetry for me and I started to kind of, because I struggle quite often articulating myself if I've not planned it so poetry's perfect for me because it's intense planning. Um, I have some very odd special interests that if you bring them up in conversations, quite bizarre for most people but if you put it in a poem <laughs> it's crazy, right? So I so all of a sudden found that I had this private voice um and then when I was diagnosed, I realised that that kind of love of language and the love of detail, it it was down to kind of my, my brain and my nature. And I suppose then, when I was then using poetry, working in community groups and in settings with young people or people who have experienced adversity in some way, I understood how it felt to be excluded from literacy or excluded from communications in one way but also understood how cool it could be if you could harness it Mm -hmm. um so I kind of I'm still working through that but it's very much um it's it very much allows me to really think about what and how I want to say things where I possibly wouldn't be able to get it out in another way that's really interesting
0: because there's a lot of kind of debate and and talk about kind of that poetry is just this, uh, certain forms of poetry are just a kind of splurge onto the page in very kind of open form and free verse and all that kind of stuff, but actually, yeah, what you're saying is that kind of structure and and that kind of detail and focus is something that you really enjoy about writing a poem.
1: Yeah, and even because mostly it's spoken word poetry, Mm. at least that I started off doing, and, and the thought that it's a splurge onto the page, it's a deliberate splurge. And for me, it was to be able to say that also cut out all the barriers of putting it on the page as well. So it's, nothing's by accident in poetry, I think. Sometimes it is, but if you choose to leave it there, then that's deliberate. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know, happy so accidents. <laughs> yeah, you can leave
0: them there if they're happy accidents. Yes. Nice. And your, your experience of actually, obviously you're, you're delivering this project and working in schools, but your own personal experience of Um, dyslexia and and the education system
4: uh, yeah how's
0: poetry helped with that
4: I think I think it's really still very challenging for a lot of children in schools um, and a lot of adults in the community but um I think that poetry has can be that key that just unlocks things I mean I have two children who they have other things uh, that they find other challenges as well but dyslexia is one of them um But they're both very different, but they both engage with poetry in different ways. So my son has a kind of um, processing difficulty. So he finds it really difficult to understand information. But what Beth was saying really resonated with me because it's the repetitiveness for him. So it's this, the rhythms and the rhyme. And that's how he gets through his day. He gets through his school day with... You're remembering patterns and rhythms and rhymes and using colour and using all of these techniques to get through from A to B in his high school day of where he's to be, science and maths and you know. Mm. So he's writing poems in his head to get him through the day, really. Mm. And my daughter is very creative. She's musical, she's you know, she she really, really struggles, chronically struggles with her literacy. So a lot of school is really, really challenging for her. She's nine. Um, so all of the things that kind of get her through her day are art and music and um listening to rather than writing poetry I've showed her spoken word poetry, YouTube she loves a bit of YouTube as kids do now but um I've showed her Victoria's poems on youtube I've showed her other poems on YouTube, and she just her wee eyes were wide open because seeing poetry not as something that you have to slave over um you know, getting the alliteration right or finding the right metaphor or whatever, but actually seeing something that can be that expression of yourself. And it, it that's how I found poetry. I was exactly the same as what you're saying, Victoria, that it was my way of communicating. So it was all the things I couldn't actually say out loud. And most of the time that was as a teenager angsty writing things and put them in a drawer but it helped do you know what I mean it helped me understand what I thought in that moment and it still helps me now I actually sometimes don't know what I feel about something until I pick up a pen and I think that that is great children are struggling post-covid children are probably struggling more than they have ever done in schools and providing this resource and this space for them to actually come together and be able to put what they're feeling out onto paper or if they can't put it on paper, find a way that we can access what they're thinking has been such a valuable thing to be able to do. It's mm-hmm. been wonderful.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, it's, yeah, this is uh, music to me and music to my heart as well and it's it's so important. Um, we work on a lot of projects here at the SPL um, thinking about health and wellbeing through poetry and then having to try and... Um, record that and and record that impact and from everything that you've been saying there's so much impact and so much um, expressive power and that space um, for everybody within poetry without a capital P it's poetry um, on the ground and how people speak and how people Mm -hmm. relate and express and it's just lovely to to hear you speak about it in, in such positive ways. With Beth, we've had a look at, uh, briefly, at what at Beth's poem. I just wanted to um, ask Craig and Victoria about their poems. Again, they're they're in a, a parallel recording, so you can hear them uh, and see them. But I just wanted to ask Craig, yeah, where did your poem Shine come from?
3: Um, for me, it came from, well, when truly asked me to be part of the project, it came from that feeling that sometimes when you feel on the margins, sometimes when you feel... Not included that it can feel heavy and it can feel dark and and for me that meant that it made me think about that it made me think about what well, how did, how, was that, how does that how that feel for me how does it feel in my experiences and it then sort of made me smile a bit because I thought each one of those times those dark times have have ultimately led to something positive as it's led me on and it's shaped me and, and my life experiences, so that's where mine came.
0: Fantastic. So that kind of, yeah, that, there's some really powerful lines in there and um, that idea about the kind of the fake it till you make it and life is a performance and the audience are just here to see that show. Yeah. That was a really kind of powerful line about how, yeah, how we, yeah, how we um, try and cover things up and then just try and that kind of performance all the time. Um, yeah, that really resonated with me. Maybe that was,
3: <laughs> that was the, it's the social roles for me that yeah. felt like that, especially in education. Yeah, as a, as a you know, I've not been in school for many years now, but that I felt my role was to be a guy playing football and to act that way and, and to to walk that way and talk that way and uh, and and that's wasn't and I dare say I don't want to speak for anybody else, but. I, I, everyone in my school have felt that way, and I, I think I think that sometimes that those rules create conformity. They create they, they, they strangle expression
0: as well. Right. I think that's interesting. Yeah, so they strangle expression, but then also prompt expression and provoke they expression. you I, I was going I going to say that. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but no, there's yeah. that paradox in there, which is really really yeah. powerful. Victoria, with your poem, A Rumber in the Co-op, great title, great
1: title. <laughs> <laughs> What's going on there? What's going on in the rumba? Uh, I just kind of... I thought about the project and I thought about who would be watching perhaps and I thought about my own experiences of sitting in school and I remember one, or I think I remember one teacher in classroom in particular, um, that I just could not get into at all. And at the time I didn't realise it was because of any kind of neurodiversity and and what I always was told at school is you could be really brilliant if you just paid attention and I was thinking I was paying attention <laughs> to the noises <laughs> down the street. <laughs> 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 Thanks
2: so much
1: totally
4: I'm zooming right in. <laughs>
1: I just kind of wanted to kind of sum up that feeling of everything building up till it didn't make sense anymore. And at the end, and I remember this teacher really clearly because I remember the parents' night, and I remember him saying, If you just paid attention, and I remember my mum looking at me like, No again. It's <laughs> <laughs> just like, do you know. And I wonder how many young people sit in class and go feel that mm. I'm trying my best, I'm trying to access this, I just can't. And for me it wasn't even, I didn't even realise I couldn't, I thought I was, Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) obviously not very well, (laughs) and I just wanted to kind of sum it up, encapsulate it.
0: It's perfect because that yeah that paying attention is often when people like when poets are talking and um, when they're being interviewed like this um, that sense of paying attention is such a kind of fundamental element of writing and and, and then It's like overrated. It's overrated. <laughs> <laughs> it depends what you're paying attention on. That's but yeah, but if that system wasn't uh, the school system not allowing you to um, uh, yeah it wasn't uh, set up to recognise what kind of, mm-hmm. of attention you were paying. Um, and now, now that you're a writer and writing poetry and, and in community as well, that, that kind of attention is so vital. <laughs> and
4: if, but if we're thinking about neurodiversity, I mean, that, that's it's a meaningless statement, really. To, I mean, if you were to tell my son with a processing difficulty to pay attention, it doesn't mean anything to him. Because it's say, as, as Victoria's saying, he is paying attention to the things that he's able to pay attention to, if it's a noise down the street or whatever it is. But... Um, we need to be delivering things in a way that's meaningful for people and that's what this project, I suppose, has been all about.
0: Well, that's a fantastic segue into the, um, the kind of final comments that I just wanted to make um, and that this has been such an interesting conversation for me and hopefully for the listeners paying attention at the other <laughs> end. Um, and if you want to see the, the Poetry Unwrapped um, materials and resources, they're on our website Um, They're fantastic and I advise you to go and check them out. I'd like to also thank East Bank Academy, uh,
4: Comley Park, Falkirk High and um, Oak Bank Primary. Fantastic,
0: (laughs) Uh, because we've also got some um, readings from the the kids there from uh, Oak Bank in particular. Um, So they've already engaged with the project. So yes, on our website are all the resources and the videos. Um, They're fantastic and I think that you should go and see them and use them as much as you possibly can. So... I just want to say thanks to everybody here, Julie, Victoria, Beth, and Craig. Thanks for being so open and uh, positive about the project, but also about poetry in general. It's invigorated me, and reinvigorated <laughs> me to go back into the, the poetry world and know how much impact um, projects like this are making. So that's fantastic. So thank you very much for your time today. And thanks for listening.